0: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy.
2: And thank you for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Got some great racing on tap this weekend. Of course, it is the battle of the unbeatens. That's right. Mohamed, a favorite over the undefeated champion, Nyquist. What a matchup it's going to be in the Florida Derby and I brought in two of racing's top experts to try to uh, give us some insight into this race. It looks like the easiest exact box in the history of racing on paper but that's why they put them in the starting gate. Those guests will be Michael Baychak, who won the $1 million first place prize of the 2012 Daily Racing Forum National Thoroughbred Race Handicapper of the Year. Uh, Michael always has uh, great insight. And I was on Twitter this weekend. I was seeing he was sending uh, images of himself over in Dubai. So we're going to get his read on Maydan, Dubai, the racing over there, and of course the Dubai World Cup. Uh, which, uh, as you all know by now, was won by Horse of the Year, California Chrome. And then, helping us with the very tough card at Gulfstream Park, I had to whittle it down to three stakes, but they have stakes galore at Gulfstream this week, Uh and we're also going to try to look at another Derby qualifying race in the spiral stakes. Of course, uh, the, the big one we'll be talking about the most is the express bet Florida Derby grade one, the matchup of the unbeatens. So that's, who's going to be on the program with us. Of course, uh, with all that great racing at Gulfstream, uh, we hope that you'll uh, pull down the uh, easy win forms once again. Had some big winners. Came up twenty cents short of five thousand dollars at Gulfstream Park yesterday with a twenty cent pick six, four thousand nine hundred ninety nine and eighty uh, cents, and over a uh, Turf Paradise, we had a $1 pick 6 and actually we got the payout for 5 to 6 4178. Uh track some of you uh, may play on a regular basis, a Laurel 50 cent pick 4 paid 3700 and uh, down in the warmer weather, a Tampa Bay $1 pick 3 returned 2180. So you go to winningponies.com and catch up on all the information, but basically with all this great racing, you're going to want to uh, pull down the easy win forms. And we will take a look at, at the menu, shall we say. Of course, I already mentioned the, the Grade 1, 4 to Derby, the Grade 3 Spiral Stakes. Uh might get a chance with Matt to look at the Grade 2 Honey Jay at Gulfstream. And then the Gulfstream Park Oaks is on our schedule to handicap. But also there's the Grade 3 Appleton Stakes, the Grade 3 Orchid Stakes, the grade two Pan American, the grade three skip away. So as you see, uh, some excellent racing down at Gulfstream Park. Pull down your easy win forms. Okay. He, this was the surprise of the week. No doubt about it. If you have not heard, Hall of Fame jockey Calvin Burrell has retired effectively immediately. Uh, just found this out on Wednesday morning. His agent is Larry Melanson. And he confirmed it Wednesday morning at Oaklawn Park. Of course, uh, Burrell, Oaklawn's leading Oaklawn rider in '95 and 2001, so far has not been reached for comment. So I'm sure we're going to find out in the near future. Uh, he wasn't uh, in any recent injuries. Uh, he was named on several horses in the next couple of days at Oaklawn Park. He was scheduled to work horses Wednesday morning, including Cosmic eva Evolution, who's going in the $400,000 fantasy stakes. Uh, so Burrell, who's now 50, informed Melanson Tuesday afternoon that he was retiring. They talked for about 40 minutes before the track opened, and that was it. That's all I know, said Larry Melanson. Of course, uh, Jerry Hitham of Hot Springs was Burrell's close friend and longtime agent. He wasn't uh, sure of any specific reason. He hasn't been having weight problems, and again, no injury. So uh, we're going to miss him in the saddle, but I'm sure he'll be around racing. He's a great guy. He retires with 5,146 career victories, 27th highest in North American history. He's won over $127 million, Wrote his first winner in 1983. Of course, he's one of those Raging Cajuns, he came out of St. Martinville, Louisiana, and everybody knows him as Calvin Borel because he likes to save ground, sticks along the wood, and that style carried him to an unprecedented three Kentucky Derby victories in four years. Of course, in 2007, it was Street Sense, 2009, Mind That Bird, the 50-to-1 shot, and Super Saver in 2010. Of course, Burrell really dominated the, uh, the Churchill scene for, for so many years. And uh, it will be interesting when he finally does come out publicly and, and announce uh, why he did retire. He's still riding winners down at Oaklawn. Well, over the weekend, of course, all eyes were over in the desert for most of early Saturday. And California Chrome was just unbelievable. And what a path that uh, Taylor made and the other owners uh, have put him on. Uh Victor Espinoza broke with him out of the gate. Looked like he was gonna try to get a little bit closer to the lead, but the horses on the inside weren't letting him do it. He had to break from post eleven in the field of twelve, so he's pretty much parked out uh in the five path most of the way. But uh he he stayed with the leaders, all of a sudden put a nice move on the turn, and if you were watching closely, all of a sudden you saw California Chrome's saddle slip far back past his barrel but uh, somehow espinoza maintained his balance and espinoza said i was just trying to keep my balance and not move my body i just kept looking forward and thinking where's the wire it wasn't coming fast enough Uh, as they turned around to come back to the winter circle espinoza jumped off uh, california chrome and readjusted the saddle because obviously he was going to have a lot of great photo opportunities. Uh, the final time was 201.83, which was a new track record on the dirt course that was installed in 2015. Uh, Mub Tahij made a rail move to pick up second, but well behind the winner. And Opportunity, the other North American horse, finished third. Completing the order of finish were Special Fighter Frosted, who just didn't seem to fire, uh, Mishawish, Candy Boy Keen Ice, Hoko Tarame, Teletext, Van Damos, and Gunpit. So, as we speak, he is flying back right now and uh, he's going to be uh, settled in. He's got to go through quarantine uh, in Chicago. And then he's going to go down to uh, Taylor Made Farm. He's going to get some uh, well deserved rest. And that win. Put his earnings to twelve million five hundred thirty-two thousand, going past the two thousand and eight Dubai Cup winner Curlin, who retired with ten million five hundred one thousand dollars. So of course, uh, their target is uh, the Breeders' Cup. So he's going to get some race. He's going to come back uh, from Taylor Made Farm, and. Uh, We'll see what he uses as a prep to get to the Breeders' Cup. But what a great, great uh, race it was, and what a great comeback for California Chrome. Well, this is some interesting news. Uh, Run Happy, under new trainership, has a heel bruise, and it's going to delay his four-year-old debut. He was diagnosed uh, after a uh, workout, so they're going to have to stop on the colt. They're not sure how serious it is, but they're going to have to back off a little bit um, of course, uh, his new trainer is now Laura Wohlers, the sister in law of the owner Jim Mattress McEnvale. Run Happy was being pointed to the grade two half a million dollar Churchill downstakes stakes on the Derby card, so it's too bad we're not going to get a chance to see that Eclipse award winning sprinter. And I do believe that the grade one met Mile, they want to stretch him out a little bit is going to remain on their radar. So uh, we'll see if they can get that uh, fantastic uh, horse back. Uh, As you know, there was a lot of controversy when McInval fired uh, the uh, earlier trainer who did such a great job uh, with him, uh, that, of course, uh, being uh, Ms. Borel, Maria Borrell is her name, and uh, uh, we'll find out. But good luck, uh, we hope, for... uh, run happy also coming out of the races in dubai uh we did have another injury xy jet who put in a game game race in a second place finish in the dubai golden shanin uh exited the race with a small chip in his left knee according to trainer jorge navarro so uh, they found that out after the race he did put in a really solid race and uh we wish him nothing but the best uh then uh of course uh few weeks ago, we had jockey Florent Jarreux agent on, and he did a heck of a job. He uh, wound up taking the fairgrounds title, and this week he won Jockey of the Week. Of course, uh, the race that really put him over the top of the Grade 2 Louisiana Derby. So, uh, Giroux is going to be uh, quite in demand. Uh, he was a graduate of the French Riding Academy. Uh, he's the son of a former rider and a successful trainer, and uh, he came over recommended by Patrick B and Cohn, another Frenchman. So we finished the week out with six wins from 23 mounts, adding three second-place finishes for earnings of 780,470. Not too bad at all. Of course, uh, the fairgrounds meet is over now. Uh, Mike Stid- Stidham was the leading trainer, and Midwest Thoroughbreds took the leading owner title. Uh, in the, uh, in the, the breeding shed, uh, we lost uh, Tap Your Heels. Uh, the dam of Tappet passed away uh, at the age of 20. Uh, she uh, did have a foal, and uh, she started uh, hemorrhaging shortly after the foal. The foal is alive. He's a, a son of Super Saver. So um, the end of the uh, Tappet line, Of course, Tap It was by Pulpit was the first foal out of Tap Your Heels, so she is no longer in the breeding shed. Well, uh, again, we're going to be coming up here with um, Michael Bicek. Before we do that, I want to go over the races from last week. Uh, Of course, uh, the Louisiana Derby, I'm sure Michael had interest in that race. I don't know if he got to see it or not from Maydan, but... uh, if you want to see the Louisiana Derby, you just have to watch the Risen Star. Unbelievable. An absolute repeat. Gunrunner gets the job done. Of course, Florent Giroux in the saddle. Uh, in the second spot was Tom's Ready, not Mo Tom. And in the third spot, Dazzling Gem. Mo Tom, of course, a couple of weeks ago we had Tom Amos on with us, just had another nightmarish trip. I guess Tom Amos, out of character, really tore into Corey Lannery. He took him off his other mounts for the rest of the day. Since then, cooler heads have prevailed. Tom was just very upset. He, he's from New Orleans. He had his family there. And uh, Corey decided to go on the inside, and there was no room in the end. He had to check for the better part along the 16th pole. And, again, so gunrunner will be gunrunning in the Kentucky Derby. And then we went to the Fairgrounds Oaks, and the winner, Land Over Sea, that was the horse we said just wanted to get away from Songbird. Had raced against Songbird five times in a row, with three seconds behind her. So how good is Songbird? Land Over Sea won by four and a half, and uh, all we could say is that it really gives even more testimony, not that she needed, at the greatness of Songbird. Then in the uh, Munez Memorial Handicap, we saw a new course record. Edgar Prado and Bill Mott came into town and went wire to wire with Take the Stand at 8-1. to one. Chocolate Ride did not get the job done. Second was World Appeal. Third, Closing Bell. And then uh, we said that he, uh, New Orleans Handicap was anybody's race, and it was at anybody's race at Twenty to one, marvelous. Got the job done for trainer Mike Maker. All right, that was a look at last week's racing. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. We're going to talk to a handicapping champion, Michael Baychak, who was over in Dubai last week. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. He's a fly ball, deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's at the top. Got it. With 2.8 seconds He's left to
3: left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here.
0: From high school to the pros, we, <laughs> we, cover everything. we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What?
3: Voice America
0: Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart got a tip for us need a tip from us if you want to talk with john or his guests the phone lines are now open toll free at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com now back to winning ponies with john englehart
2: all right and with me is michael bashock i was up on the uh Twitterverse over the weekend, and I started seeing photos and images uh, of Michael and things that were happening over in Dubai, and I thought, you know, most of the time I lean on him to just kind of help me handicap the races, but from the images I saw, it sure looked like uh, the 2012 DRF NTRA champion handicapper was having a really good time, and I always wanted to know what it's what it's like over there. And so, with uh, no further ado, Michael Baycheck, welcome again to Winning Ponies.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, John.
2: Well, uh, tell me—I I guess uh, you were kind of. Uh, in a, in a somewhat official capacity, uh, working for Twin Spires. A, how did that come about? I know you're part of their uh, ultimate derby team that Jenny Reese put together. Um, so kind of tell us how the whole thing came together. I, I, I'm assuming this is your first time over
3: there.
1: Yeah, it was. It was my <clears throat> first time. Hopefully it won't be my last. Um, so I kind of pitched an idea to Twinspires.com about you know sending me over there to uh, – Cover the race, and then you know we do uh, players pools on Twinspires.com. And since there's no uh, you know betting or outlet in uh, Maidan, there's no gambling allowed. Um, you know I thought it would be a good opportunity to do a little small players pool and uh, gin up some interest in Twinspires.com. And so they agreed, and um, so there I went. I was off to Dubai to quote unquote cover the race. Uh, you know I don't I, I'm not I don't like to call myself a part of the media um, although I was a you know credential person because I'm not a journalist I was just you know there to show some pictures and and enjoy the experience and kind of write some blogs and, and just report back on, on what I saw and and I did and it was just a uh, it was just a once-in-a lifetime kind of experience everything over there is five star uh, five star plus. Um, and they just do it right, and, and you know, it, it was just truly a great experience. Now, uh,
2: did you go to the track
1: on on, on several days, and
2: I, they showed aerial shots of it, and they they showed very unique TV angles. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, compared to other tracks you've been to, uh, how would you compare, or can you?
1: <laughs> right, I mean, well, the, the first thing that struck me, when I you know pulled up was just the uh, the facility itself is just enormous. I mean, um, you know, it's probably built to to take on a hundred thousand people, and they probably put I don't know twenty twenty five thousand, so you're never crowded. The second thing that really uh, struck me about the track was the turf course. Um, I, I'm not good at dimensions, but I, I will say that it looked like the width. Of the turf course was at least fifty yards wide, um, all wow. the way around. They have two chutes that are on each, you know, each end of the oval that allow them to run, you know, like a mile and an eighth race around one turn. I mean, it's just uh, everything they do there in in and Dubai is is just um, it's just at the top of the line. So they're always trying to improve upon the last thing they did. It's just a wonderful track. You never felt crowded. There's a lot of people there. There's, like you said, the, the technology that they use, the screens uh, in the infield, the, the camera angles, the access that they actually, you know, the camera's able to show you of the horses. And it really, it's just, um, it's, it's a world-class facility that treats the fans and the horses and the connections all world-class. Well, speaking of world-class, it must have been
2: uh, pretty interesting for you walking through the crowd. There were probably people talking in in, in French, in Japanese, in in Korean, in Arabic. I mean,
1: uh,
2: it it probably couldn't get much more multinational, particularly for (laughs) horsemen.
1: No, it really can't, but, you know, I mean, it's a very welcoming place for uh, Americans, um, and I'm sure Europeans as well. It's such a multinational uh, city. Um, interesting as, as the horses were being saddled for the, uh, for the Dubai World Cup, I had some access not only as a media person, but I was also, uh, fortunate enough to be, you know, part of a, the, the group that owned Donegal Racing. I, I, don't own a share of Keen Ice, but I know some of the guys that do. And so I was down in the saddling area and within a, an arm's reach from me with no one around us was Sheikh Maktoum. Uh, I mean, Sheikh Mohammed and, I mean, to me, that was the highlight of the whole trip being, you know, within arm's reach of a man who has, you know, so much power and has done so much for not only horse racing, but for a country and a city, uh, and it, uh, you know, that he's done. And, you know, just that kind of access and um, <laughs> just closeness was, was, pretty, was pretty remarkable. It's just really remarkable. And to be able to see the horses, I took a couple pictures. I'm walking from the tunnel. Uh, under the track to the to the walking ring where they sat, where they walk them around and riders are up. And I'm walking next to Frosted. Uh, again, I could put my hand out and touch him. I was walking next to California Chrome, took a picture. It's just, you know, it's, it was just really an incredible experience uh, for me.
2: Well, you were with a good crew. I've uh, I've uh, had Jerry Crawford on as a guest before, and I know that uh, he and Tammy Fox and Dale Romans are, are people that have been known to be able to have a good time when they want to.
1: Well, they're a great crew, uh, and, and not only are they a great crew of, of people, but they also really like the other part of the, the the sport, which is the handicapping. They are they're crazy for handicapping, and you know they're actually one of the uh, the partners in keen Ice, um, is leading the NHC Tour currently, uh, and Jerry was 20th in points uh, last week, so they, they, they um, and Tony Infante uh, is a big contest player, has won contests on Derby Wars. I mean, they're, they're into my space, um, not, you know, in, in the contest world, which makes it just such a great, uh, it's just a great you know, atmosphere, and it's a great group of folks, and, 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 um, and they do a lot for horse racing, too. Uh, we're we're talking with, with Michael Bajak. Well,
2: did, did what, what? What's it like as a guy that I know likes to bet now and then? When you go in the track, are there racing forms? Are there programs with PP? <laughs> did you have to pull your own down? How does that work?
1: They have a they have a program and it's very extensive. So they have past performances um, in the uh, in the program. Um, but you know, there's it, it was really strange not being able to bet on the races and. And they actually, uh, you know, they block, um, sites that allow betting. Um, so it's very difficult to try to get your bets in, but you know, as, uh, as, uh, passionate as we are about our gambling. Uh, there are some workarounds, which I won't disclose on over radio. Um, <laughs> where there's a will, there's a uh, way, huh? <laughs> Where there's a will, and there was a lot of wills, uh, and so all we had to find was one way, and we did. So we were able to place a few wagers, although it was not easy. And it, you know, so um, and the truth is, John, that you know, because it's such a it's such a sporting event that it really it, it really was secondary. You know, it really, really uh-huh. the gambling and the wagering part was really secondary and I really didn't care about halfway through the card whether I was going to be able to get down my pick three or bet on keen ice you know you, you just get so captured into the festivities and the sport of it and um, that, that you just you know you, you appreciate the horses and the jockeys for the athletes that they are and and for the performances that they're about to give and you just say wow this is really something let's just enjoy it
2: well with that said what about the performance of California Chrome coming home with the slip saddle and just the way he ran the whole race it pretty much park five wide? He's really writing his own pedigree.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he's, obviously he was much the best. Everybody heard Art Sherman uh, and Alan say in the previous week, you know, he was five lengths better than he was last year, which is kind of hard to believe from a four-year-old to a five-year-old. But they were right. Um, you know, he raced on the best part of the track, um, but he beat those horses soundly. He would have beat them on any part of the track. He's just, he's just a champion. He has a heart of a champion. You know, um, there's other horses that maybe look better in the morning, um, that maybe work better, uh, that may be more better conformed, but when he gets on the track, there's something in him makes him head and shoulders and four or five lengths better (laughs) than his competition. And I, you know, that's just something to marvel at and and be appreciative of that we're able to see this, um, you know, in our, in our, our, in our lifetime, because I truly believe now after seeing him run and, um, that he's one of the best that I've ever seen, period.
2: Well, with that said, you show a great appreciation for a, a great horse I have to ask you, we've got the Battle of the Unbeatens that's going to take place at Gulfstream Park, the easiest exact box of handicapper's ever seen, I think, with Nyquist and Mohaman. Michael, I wanted to get your read on this great championship bout.
1: Right. So, um, I mean, this is not a race that we really want to see before the derby, right? I mean, uh, you know, we, we would love to see this race uh, in a month, um, but we're going to see it now because Nyquist is coming for the million dollars. Um, you know, Mo, Mo has been on the top of my derby list for, for the entirety of the, of the Ultimate Derby poll, um, and he's, he's, you know, he's there for a reason because he's just done everything so effortlessly. But you could say the same thing about Nyquist. Um, he's never been beaten. It's just, you know, you got the best of the West taking on the best of the East a month early. I would have to probably give the edge though to Nyquist just based on his speed and the fact that he's traveled well before and the fact that Gulfstream might favor his style a little bit more than Mo Hayman but I wouldn't put it past Mohamed to to beat him. Obviously, those are the two, um, you know. And I also wouldn't take too much away from the race. Like, I don't even know what the outcome, no one knows at this point, but, you know, if Mohamed loses, it doesn't really bother me moving forward to the Derby, uh, unless, you know, he loses by a lot or runs out of the money or something like that. It's almost like, a couple of public workouts for these horses and who's going to actually you know want to win the workout uh, or win the warm-up more than the other person and i would probably think that it's going to be nightless because if he does win uh he'll still be in line for that million dollar bonus where if he if he doesn't you know the bonus is gone the trip to the east is, is for naught so I'm looking forward to it. You know, I just wish maybe it was going to be a month from now. But uh, you know, uh, we'll 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 see what happens. And I wouldn't be surprised by the out. But if if either of them won, you know, beat the other one. Um, Well, I I I hope
2: it's a head-bobbing finish, and so we're all extremely excited about that first Saturday in May of who's going to be able to get that little extra distance that they're going to be asked going a mile and a quarter. Well, Michael Baychak, thank you so much for joining us and painting the the, the picture of the the festival over in Dubai, and uh, greatly appreciate it. I'll be back in touch one of these days for a handicapping session, if that's okay.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, John. I always enjoy it.
2: All right. Well, that was Michael Baychock, the champion handicapper. Coming up next, another top capper and a guy that's got his own television show now, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. So we're going to take a little bit of a break here on Winning Ponies. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. Leave the bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I and just, get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy.
3: <laughs>
2: NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak
0: up. Or forever hold your mouth.
3: We ain't playing around here.
0: Voice America Sports. And they're off. What?
2: All right, and coming up with us right now from the Daily Racing Forum, Matt Bernier. I have to keep updating uh, his his resume on the site because... Uh, since I first talked to him a couple years ago when uh, he was on that Esquire TV reality series, Horse Players. Uh, he's joined uh, on with the Daily Racing Form, teaming up. I always like him and uh, Dan Illman going back and forth with each other. Uh, but now he's stepping out into a solo spot, uh, the Matt Bernier Show. I, I do think he needs a live audience and maybe a better musical intro or maybe a band in the studio. But uh, you can catch him 12 noon at DRF.com. I'm Matt, welcome back to the show. John, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh yeah, I want to tell people, you know, ab- about your show. You, you you've really smoothed your style uh over the years. You seem like you've got a great comfort zone in front of the camera. And, and I will tell people it's uh, it's very it's very slick. I mean, uh you've got uh, uh ESPN like. You've got your uh Topics listed on nice graphics in the corner so people know what's coming up. Uh, It did look like you even had two camera angles. At one point it looked like you shifted and looked into another camera. Uh, You get a a commercial break, so you probably get to wet your whistle and take a breather. And uh, as of, I believe, last week when you had uh, Dan Torgeman on, uh, you're going to start to have a a guest spot too. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of those.
3: Yeah, no, that that, that sums it up pretty well. It's it's still in its infancy. We're still kind of, you know, you got to learn to walk before you can run and vice versa and run before you can race. So uh, each each time we've gone through and done it, it's just taking a little bit of a step forward, a bit of a step forward. But everything you laid out is right. We, I, I just, you know, I started with the DR Players Podcast with Peter Thomas Fornital and Mike Hogan. And unfortunately, just the way that my schedule kind of over the summer developed last year, going and doing the NBC stuff, it just prevented me from doing the the podcast consistently. So I didn't feel like it was fair to keep hopping back in and out with those guys and throwing them out of their sort of rhythm. But I also didn't want to give up the, I'm trying to pitch it or or explain it to people as a sports talk show, but that's obviously horse racing predominantly, but also as a a radio show, not necessarily a TV sort of thing, but we want to keep that in, in mind and do a little bit of everything. So, Bit by bit, we're trying to just develop it a little bit at a time here. You mentioned last week we had Dan Korgman on. Um, Tomorrow we'll have Gabby Gaudette on from Gulfstream Park. So just a little bit here and there, and and hopefully in time people will continue to enjoy it. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. uh, Any sort of criticism, constructive, positive, negative, in between, we're all ears. So uh, having fun with it, and hopefully it can continue to develop. Well, what
2: I took away from it was, was very positive. The other thing uh, with the fact that you, that you have video is as you were talking and either doing uh, your section on a handicapping review portion or the handicapping preview portion, you are able to pull
3: up video replays, and I think that's key. Yeah, absolutely, especially for the people following along, whether it's on DRF Live or if you're watching it later on DRF.com or on YouTube, wherever we have it. Uh, I think it just kind of helps. Really explain, if you're trying to get at something with a certain horse, whether it's a lead change or a lack of lead change or or whatever the case may be, if, if you can also accompany your statement with a visual, whether we hear a track announcer over the top of it or it's just me talking over the replay, I just think it helps everyone kind of really grasp what you're trying to get across.
2: Well, it's funny you say that, because one of the races I watch, good friend of mine, I worked together with him for years, is Pete Aiello, who's now yeah. at Oaklawn Park, and he was saying that the horse was on the wrong lead, but
3: in the right place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and those are the little things, too, that I know a lot of, uh, even good, I don't want to say good, but a lot of experienced handicappers, they don't really look for those sort of things, whether there's a lead change, or there's not a lead change at all, which is even worse, but a late lead change, flipping back later on in the stretch. I think those are the kind of things that it, it, you can it can take your game to another level. And I'm just, you know, if we can point something like that out, and like you said, Pete did a great job. I was talking about Dazzling Gem. That was down at Oakland Park in his second start. You know, he was very goofy on the wrong lead, finally got over. Those are the kind of things that if we can point that out, a uh, visual aid will always go a long way.
2: Well, and then, of course, uh, you, you kind of wrap it up at the end and let people know uh, – The weekend preview, uh, if there's contests they can get in, where they go, if it's a buy in or if it's an exclusion. I think that's kind of nice for the people that are, you know, care enough about racing to tune into you that you're trying to direct them to where they can go for the action that weekend.
3: Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. I don't even want to call it a helper, but it's just to, you know, if you want to get involved, whether it is, you know, we've got the three big sites, you've got NAC Qualify, that's self explanatory. You're trying to get into the NAC and try to eventually win the tournament that Mike Batok, we just talked to, won a couple of years ago. Whether it's BCqualify.com, DRFQualify.com, it's just kind of giving you the heads up. If you're looking to get into a contest this weekend, here's the slate to have at it, you know? Well, uh, I, again, uh, it's we'll recap this at the end of the
2: show, but it, it comes on Eastern time at noon, so depending on what time zone you are, add those hours, and, and, and tune in. It's a really informative and fun. And like I said, you've got great delivery. Well, uh, you probably caught the tail end of uh, of Michael's interview, and Matt, I thought I'd just hit you right between the eyes with the big one. We got the battle of the unbeatens coming up in the Florida Derby, as Michael stated, and a lot of us believe that these two horses wouldn't see each other till the first Saturday in May, but uh, obviously, Nyquist has a million reasons
3: to take a different route. Yeah, and I hate to sound, you know, kind of echo what Mike was saying, and I think a lot of people are saying this as well, but if you just look at it you know, straight away, if you just look at the cold dog, if you're looking at the racing form, these are two very good horses. They're very clearly the horses to beat in this spot. If you are if you want to take a shot against them, go right ahead be my guest. I don't know how successful you'll be, but I wouldn't ever talk anyone out of it. But you bring up the biggest thing, and, and I know it's, it probably sounds silly, but Nyquist is running for an extra million-dollar bonus. I, I, I'm not saying that the connection to Mohamed... And wouldn't want to win this race. At this point, everyone's in the business of trying to make a stallion, and if Mohamed were to win this, this would be his first grade one. It would be a huge feather in his cap. But at the same time, Nyquist, there's a reason they waited for the Florida Derby and not run at the Santa Anita Derby or anything else, because it was a million dollars on the line. I think if you just look at it from that standpoint, not suggesting that Mohamed won't be 100% or 100% cranked up, but you've got to think, I mean, Paul Reddum is coming for the money. They're trying to win the extra million dollars. Just for that reason alone, I'd give a slight edge to Nyquist.
2: Yeah, and you know, uh, he, he's only had the seven furlong start in the San Vicente. Uh, a, a good, strong race five weeks out from the Derby, win or lose, is not going to hurt
3: Nyquist. No, not at all, and that's the biggest thing. He, he needs to go two terms, and that's my only concern. I say I'm giving Nyquist a nod. My only concern is that he gets to run fast going two turns. Now, Dick Girardi has brought it up in a couple articles he's done for the Racing Forum about how, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Nyquist wasn't that fast as a two-year-old. He was a great champion, undefeated. You can't take that away from him. But the fact remains. His career buyer, I believe, was an 89. That's not one of the more stellar sort of numbers we've seen in recent memory. The fact that he came back with that San Vicente and he got the job done with a big number, that one-on-one, which is faster than anything Mohamed's ever run or even come close to running, I think you can give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I love that he's shipped in the past. I think the most fascinating thing for me is that as much as I think Nyquist may have a slight upper hand here Saturday afternoon, I don't think that necessarily means he's the one that I would want of the two of them going to Churchill Downs first Saturday in May.
2: And again, I know that you've seen the the visuals of of Mo Heyman. And just as Mike Smith has never gotten out of a crouch on Songbird, Junior Alvarado hasn't had to do too much with Mo Heyman. I got a feeling that we're nowhere near seeing this horse's best performance.
3: No, and like you say, I mean, that's a huge point to bring up, that Moe Heyman's never really been tested anyway. At least this year, just two preps. If you're going out there, he's just been far superior to anyone else. He'll probably have to. If he's going to win Saturday, he's going to probably have to run a little bit better. But and do I think that's completely out of the realm? No, not at all. You bring up the biggest point. We, we don't know what the bottom of this horse is. The only thing that gives me a little bit of cause for pause, and I'm probably making too much out of it, Moham and his final two-year-old start in the remnant earned a 95 buyer. His first start as a three-year-old, the Holy Bull, he earned a 95 buyer. And his most recent start in the founding youth, he earned a 95 buyer. I'm not suggesting that, that's the, that he's plateaued and this is the peak. But I think as a handicapper, you know, our job is to try to, whether we want to or not, try to poke a hole in a short price. The only concern I have is that, you know, is the forward move here going to be enough? Six points is a significant difference between top career buyer tops. If Nyquist can go the two turns, which he's shown in the past, he can, and he can run that one-on-one, going to have to run the fastest race of his career pretty much by by a fair margin if he's going to win.
2: He is, but again,
3: with Mohamed, he's got the home court advantage. And that, I think that's a huge thing. When I talked to Gabby about that earlier today, she brought up a major thing that I hadn't really thought of. And the fact that Nyquist is going to have to deal with humidity for the first time in his life. Southern California gets very hot, but it's not a, a you know, growing up, anybody that lives on the East Coast knows what, what, the humidity. That could be the great sort of equalizer. We've seen a lot of horses up at Saratoga over the years absolutely melt because they don't know how to deal with 80 percent humidity and it'll be interesting to see how Nyquist acclimates to that and if he can be ready to go and get the job done Saturday afternoon.
2: Okay well that is a a look at uh, or I think uh, win or lose for either of them and again I I hope that only a nose separates one of the two at the wire. We can look forward to a a great first Saturday in May. Um, I'm going to just take a little bit of a break from the Gulfstream races because I know from uh, watching you and Dan that uh, you are familiar with the, uh, the spiral stakes that's going to take place uh, in Florence, Kentucky, as I know you checked. And uh, this race, man, I, there, there's really nobody that jumps to the top. I, you and Dan made some good points, but you made good points for half the field.
3: Oh Well, and I get That's the most fascinating thing. If anyone's playing, if you're a diehard handicapper and gambler, Turfway Park's got a great card on Saturday, and, and you throw in these sort of X-Factor already of the synthetic, you know, the, you got the poly track there, but a lot of these horses, you look at their two big races, the Bourbonette Oaks and the Spiral, you can go any, any way of a hundred different ways in here. The interesting thing about the Spiral is, and like you say, it doesn't look like there's any sort of a standout, but if if Aero Force can run back to his two-year-old form, he's probably going to win the race. The question is, I mean, what do you do? Can you really give an excuse for a 28 buyer in the Risen Star? I know he was easy, but, I mean, that was a disaster top to bottom. So I think it's a fascinating race. I wouldn't fault anyone. If you told me that you liked the longest shot on the board, I would say fire away, have at it. Um, and I think you can go so many different ways in the spiral.
2: Well, I, I know you spent some time talking about the, the Animal Kingdom's connections uh, with uh, Grand Motion and Team Valor. Uh, they did team up to win this race uh, on their way to a, a Derby a victory. Uh, Cassiopeia, if I'm saying it correctly, is kind of a bit of a mystery horse, particularly if he does or doesn't
3: get out of the gate. Yeah, and that's really the crux of it for me, because I think this horse has got a world of ability. The problem is his two North American stars, He just, Broke terribly in his first start in the gray as a two-year-old. He broke outward, and it, it didn't cost him the race. He wasn't going to ever get to Riker at that point, but he was gaining a little bit. And the El Camino Rail Derby, we very rarely see it. We saw it with the Yada baby two weeks ago, but th- this was a proper dwelt. He, he did not leave the gate. He stood there as the field, you know, broke, and he spotted them about two or three lengths. He came with a big run in that El Camino Rail Derby. He's proven that he can run on poly track. We saw that up at Woodbine before they went and changed over to speed of this year. I think he's got a major chance in here. But boy, do you want to gamble on the fact that he's going to break today? That's a tough thing to tough pill to swallow at a short price.
2: Well, I could throw a lot of other horses at you, but one I, I will before we uh, uh, go to break is Jensen. Now, <clears throat> here's a horse that's never been on the synthetic. But I have so much respect for Larry Jones, and this horse just seems to be, you know, you you look at his buyer numbers, and he just gets faster and faster and faster every race. I I don't think distance is going to be a a question. And he's got the the guy that we all wish were in his world right now, Florent Jaru, in the saddle.
3: Yeah, Florent really is kind of turning in, and I said it in our our race of the day preview for this race, he's almost getting that level, not quite of Castellano, but he's very close to the point where people just look and see Giroud's name and say, okay, well, there we go. Are going to take more money than, I don't want to say maybe he should, but he's going to attract a lot of wagerers. The thing for me with Jensen is, you mentioned it too, the buyer sort of increased. It hasn't been a 20 or 30-point jump. It's been bit by bit by bit incremental. I think he's doing it the right way. My concern is he got that big 89 last time out, and he got the sweetest of trips on the front end. And I just, I wonder, you're going to have a horse like Don't Be So Salty just to his outside. you got a couple other horses that want to be forward in place. Can he, one, can he handle the sense, which you brought up? And two, if he can, he's going to need to deal with a couple ways of pressure, I think. And for a horse that, you know, Spikes Sherrill, he beat, he ran second to Dolphus, two back. I don't think we're talking about a, a superstar, but from a buyer's standpoint, that 89 is staring everybody back in the face. He's an interesting player. right? I just, Fear that there's so many X factors or unknowns for me at a shortest price. I'm going to just lean again.
2: Oh, okay. <clears throat> a little tutorial here. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I, you know, downloaded my racing form, and just prior to the first quarter times, I see a circle with an S in it and a <laughs> circle with an H in it. I do believe that those are pace factors. Can you familiarize our listeners with what they're seeing with this new? Uh, addition from the daily racing form
3: so this new addition to the form is called pace ace and, and it's meant to deal with the flow of a race and the way that they're going through it they're not truly using as far as my understanding is concerned this isn't my expertise but as far as i know it's not about the fractions it's about before the race is supposed to be run on paper it, it looks like a fair amount of horses want to go to the front It'll look like there's a fair amount of horses that are going to take back and make one run. They'll use that, and then they compare it to the chart to try to determine whether or not it was a hard pace, a super hard pace, a, a slow, and I don't even know if they're using pace anymore. I believe they're using flow. So super flow, uh, soft flow, uh, super soft flow. It's just basically trying to help identify. If you have a horse that goes out there and wins in gate-to-wire fashion with a, with a hard or a super hard flow, you may want to give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a little bit of an upgrade because they ran against the flow of the race and vice versa. If they win in gate-to-wire fashion with a slow or a super slow flow, maybe you want to downgrade them a little bit. Again, it's in its infancy, but it's something for people. If you have a hard time deciphering pace and how you think a race is going to be run, you can use that to your advantage.
2: Well, one more factor that uh, we get to put into the art of handicap, and I've been doing it since I was about nine years old, and it's amazing the evolution. Uh, the other huge benefit, uh, I believe, of working off uh, the DRF is is the trainer stats. Uh, you know, 31 to 60 days away, one last start, routes to sprint. Uh, that That's just so useful because it's information that only the wise guys used to have.
3: Well, that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, information is power. Knowledge is power. And really, like to say, whether you're using the classic TPs, which you can just download, or if you're buying the racing form, you get the classics. You have all that stuff. And if you want to take it a step further, you can dive into the world of formulator. And that's when you can kind of customize certain stats or, or try to meld them all together to see if maybe it spits out something even a little bit more powerful, a little bit more significant. But, yeah, the, the trainer stats go so far. We can look at these horses, and, and you're right, usually in the better races, and the graded stakes, the, the horse is going to be able to tell you what they're capable and not capable of doing. But I think it's especially important when you're dealing with low to mid-level claimers, you know, trainer change, all of a sudden, this trainer does exceptionally well with mid-level claimers. Like I say, the, the trainer stats are so, so key. And now, again, if you're someone that has some sort of a, an issue trying to envision how a race shape is going to go, or or trying to upgrade or downgrade a horse based on pace. That's what PaceSafe is designed to try to help you.
2: Well, it's a great challenge, handicapping. and I think, you know, it's it's so nice that uh, it's a gambling game where you get your own input and you get to use your mind uh, instead of just uh, pulling an arm or pressing a button. Well, let's use our mind looking at the Gulfstream Park Oaks. Uh, probably not the strongest field that uh, they've seen down there. Uh, Four of the horses are coming off maiden wins, and I guess the two that obviously come to the top are uh, Doug O'Neill trained uh, Gomo and uh, Pletcher trained off the tracks. The question for me on off the tracks, I mean, the horse is undefeated. Distance is the only question.
3: Yeah, and I think it's a major question. If you watch that most recent start, the Margate, I know she went on and got the job done, but if you remember, she ran against Pat Tewitt, who was making her three-year-old debut. She didn't really pick her feet up at any point. Off the tracks, she just gives off the vibe that she's going to be a sprinter. You know, you look at a you got Boston Harbor, Mare on the bottom, and that's not the Hawk the Grace. It's a different one. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know how far she's going to ultimately want to go. I think she's going to take a ton of money in here. And as far as Gomo is concerned, Gomo, look, she's a grade one winner. I can't knock her. I just think at a short price off of a long layoff at a track that I don't know is going to suit her sort of running style. I kind of want to take a shot against both of them. And we need to also say all of these Phillies in the connection should be thrilled that Catherine Sophia decided to go next week running up at Keeneland.
2: <laughs> well, uh, then I'm guessing you, you, you got your eyes on one of these horses coming off a maiden win. Which one would it be? I, I'm,
3: I'm so torn between a couple horses. One of them, I think, at least makes sense for most people, that being the three-go-Maggie-go for Dale Romans. Louis Staya has ridden a couple of these fillies in the past, and he ends up staying aboard the three-horse. I thought she was good when she broke that maiden. She galloped out nice and strong. She drew off for fun. thought it was a good, solid effort. I don't know if she's a superstar, but that 76 buyer is a good one to build on. I am super intrigued by the two, double entendre. Peter Walder in Loot Racing, this was very clearly a private purchase after this one broke maiden by eight at Sam Houston, and this is where formulator can be a good thing and a bad thing. You've got to just use, you know, this number is going to be a little bit overwhelming, but you've got to keep it all in context, and I'll try to do that. Peter Walder over the past four years with dirt routes was first time after a trainer switch, so this is the first time that was in Walder's barn going a dirt route. He's 12 for 22, with a 390 ROI, he's over 50%. Now, again, the context, that's with much lesser sort of animals. We're dealing with low-level claimers, even some maybe maybe a mid-level you know, $50,000 claimer, not particularly great at stakes caliber. But at the same time, I thought she was very visually impressive. You go back and watch the tape. I don't know what we'll get for a number. She's 15 to 1 on the morning line. And if I don't love anyone else in here, I made her 8 to 1 on my personal value line. I'll take a shot with the two double entendres.
2: Well, I, I'm uh, fr- friends with uh, Ron Paolucci of Luge Stables. Uh, he's the guy that uh, shopped around and bought Ria Antonio privately. He didn't do too bad with that, coming away with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile a couple of years ago. So this guy knows how to spot a pretty good horse, and I think that's why you're seeing uh, him move to a new barn. But uh, no, I did, wasn't aware, uh, and I was wondering who uh, Peter Walden was, uh, because I see that he's also going to, in a real long shot with Sawyer's Mickey uh, run in the Florida Derby. But uh, Ron Paolucci is one of those guys that says, you know what, you can't hit a home run unless you get up at bat. Well, my producers tell me we only got a couple minutes left, so while I got you on the phone, uh, one of the uh, more solid races at Gulfstream, and there's so many of them on Saturday, is the Grade Two Honey Fox. It's going to be a mile on the turf. A lot of angles in here, horses uh, coming out of uh, nice debuts that leave me scratching my head as to who's the best.
3: Yeah, you know, I think it's a fascinating race. We're talking about the Honey Fox, correct? Correct. Yeah, I think this is a scenario where this is kind of the mirror race to the Appleton, but this is for the Phillies and mares. And when you look at this eight-horse field, it's very similar to the race we were just talking about with the Gold Stream Elks, where you can go any number of ways in here, I wouldn't tell anyone they were crazy if they tried to make a case for E.B. Ryder. I don't personally love her. The horse that I'm fascinated with, and I have to admit, I, I've always been a fanboy of hers. Maybe she has been a little bit more sizzled than steak. I like the two Celestine for Bill Ma. I, I think she's just sitting on such a big effort. If you go back and look at that Sand Springs, she was the one that was closest to the pace that hung around late. And I really think the horse that ran fourth in that spot is also in this race, elusive collection on the outside for Josie Carroll. I want both of those fillies. That's not saying that Sandiva or Lady Lara is not a, a likely winner, or Tammy the Torpedo, or anyone else. These the two horses that I'm going to key in on major. If I'm playing any sort of a multi-race exotic, I love Celestine. I'll try and bet her to win, but I'll also give Elusive Collection a look at a decent number. I made Elusive Collection six to one on my own line, and I made Celestine six to one. Celestine's eight to one morning line, and the eight-horse Elusive Collection is ten to one morning line.
2: All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, again, Matt Bernier, he's got his uh, own show. It's Saturdays at noon. Go to DRF.com. He has great delivery. It's a super format. I love it. Matt, congratulations, and thanks so much for being on Winning Ponies.
3: Thank you, John. looking forward to talking to you again soon.
2: All right, take care. Matt Bernier earlier, Michael Baychak, one of the top handicappers in the country. I want to thank them both for taking the time to be with us. I want to thank you for being with us. I want to remind you, winningponies.com is pulling down some humongous winners. So come on over and sign on for the Easy Win forms. going to close out the show once again here from the press box overlooking the manicured turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, when you go to the races...